Welcome back to Catholic Doctrine Bible Study. This is session 70. I'm your host, Jim Hawk. And in this session, we'll be continuing on in the book of Acts and picking up on Acts chapter 5, and we'll see how far we go from there. Um, but you'll recall that as we've studied Acts, uh, there was a period there, there that uh, was talked about in Acts chapter 2 where everybody's everybody's friend, right? They're all sharing and they're selling their things so that uh, each person will have enough and it's a very caring and loving um, environment. And that continues. And then we will take a look at chapter 5 here. So unless you're driving... Open your Bible to Acts chapter 5. And we see that this there's a man named Ananias and Sapphira, and they sell a piece of property. Uh, and they want to give that to the, the church. It says he retained, verse 2, he retained for himself with his wife's knowledge some of the purchase price took the remainder and put it at the feet of the apostles. So he kind of holds out there that, hey, you know, I, I sold this land I, and I'm giving all the money to the church. That's what's kind of uh, implied here, right? And so um, some way Peter finds out that uh, Ananias had kept some of that money for himself. Now, that would have certainly been Ananias's right to do so. I mean, it was his property. And yet uh, the problem is that Ananias represented that he gave all the money from the sale to the church. At least that's what's inferred there. So he lied to, to the church. You know, he probably wanted the church to think he was a big, important guy, big, big giver. And uh, it was apparently the land was worth a significant amount of money. So he wanted the praise of men, didn't he? Okay, so Peter questions him about this. I'm just kind of summarizing as we go along here. And he says, hey, uh, verse 4, when this property was sold, was it not still under your control? Um, you lied not to human beings, but to God, you know, in saying, hey, I gave all the money to the church. When, an An when Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last, so he died. And then uh, the same thing happens when Peter asks his wife about this. And she says, yeah, you know, we gave the whole amount to the church. And Peter said, hey, why do you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? And then she died as well. So this is kind of troubling if you had never read or heard this story before. I mean, yes, the, the people were doing a basically good thing. They were giving to the church, right? And yet by telling a lie, if you will, that, yeah, we gave all the money to the church, um, they both die. They just keeled over and died. They found her dead. And uh, so what's, what's the message here? Um, it seems kind of harsh to me. Well, uh, here's an example perhaps you can relate to. Did you ever have a teacher that on the first day of school 
They were really, really tough. And they said, and if you do this, you're going to be kicked out of class. And if you do that, you're going to fail. And, uh, you know, perhaps a college professor or whatever, you know, on the first day, they say, half of you won't be here uh, by the end of the semester because you're going to fail. I'm going to be the toughest teacher ever, right? And uh, a lot of people leave then, right? But those that are left, it ends up that the teacher is perhaps a very concerned uh, teacher and uh, is, is actually kind of a softy, if you will, in terms of, of discipline. Well, when I read this story, the way that this makes sense to me is, hey, the church is brand new. It has just started with the, you know, with the, uh, in, in Acts here. And uh, so the analogy would be to your first day of, of school, let's say in a given college class. So they're really tough at first, so that you get a good start. And then after you're there, uh, you know, they, they are a little less rigid, if you will. Similarly, if you've been in the army, uh, most people will tell you boot camp is not enjoyable. They try to break you down so that they can build you up. And my guess is that's what's happening here with Ananias and Sapphira. Okay, so... Uh, they go out and they keep uh, great numbers of, uh, verse 14, great numbers of men and women were added to the believers there. And uh, people are cured and all that. So, of course, now remember the Sanhedrin has already talked to, uh, to Peter and John once and said, hey, I don't want to hear any more about this Jesus Christ. And what did Peter say to them? You know, should we obey you or God? You know, and they got let out. Well, so we're going to see a similar story beginning in verse 17, where now all the apostles are put in a public jail. And once again, during the night, the angel of the Lord opened the doors of the prison and let them out. We're going to see that with Paul as well. And uh, so they go around and um, so they get, they get rounded up again. And uh, they were brought before the Sanhedrin, verse 27. And in verse 28, the high priest said, We gave you strict orders, did we not? to stop teaching in that name, you know, the name of Jesus. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and want to bring this man's blood upon us. That's kind of ironic, right? Because who else's blood would be on On Who else's blood would Jesus be on? Well, we could, we could say that Jesus' blood is really as a result of all of our sins, but specifically the Sanhedrin called up for the death of Christ. Verse 29, Peter's not going to back down. He's not that wimp that uh, that denied Christ three times uh, because he has seen the resurrected Christ and he has the Holy Spirit in him. He says in verse 29, but Peter and the apostles said in reply, we must obey God rather than men. And I want you to underline that, uh, that sentence, uh, verse 29, we must obey God rather than men. And that should be something that we should all live by. There may come a time, even in America, 
where you'll be arrested for being for praying outside an abortion clinic, okay? And they'll say, hey, get out of here, whatever. Well, if you feel convicted to stand for the right to life, you go ahead and do so. Do it in a lawful way, but remember, just as Peter says, we must obey God rather than men, okay? So, um, they... Um, you know, the, the rulers, they decided, um, what do we do with these guys? You know, we can't, we, we really shouldn't, um, you know, put them on trial at this point because they've got a lot of followers. We just saw a chapter or so back, they've already got 5,000 men in Jerusalem that have become followers. So they asked a Pharisee in the Sanhedrin named Gamaliel, uh, verse 34, a teacher of the law, hey, what do we do? And in verse 38, he says, I tell you, have nothing to do with these men and let them go. For if this endeavor or this activity is of human origin, it will destroy itself. You know, it'll just kind of burn itself out. You know, there have been many people who, pro who proclaim themselves Messiah and they're still due today. Right. But after a while, it kind of burns himself out. Verse 39 but if it comes from God, you will not be able to destroy them. You may even find yourselves fighting against God. Well, that's very prophetic, isn't it? Because here we are 2,000 years later, and the Catholic Church, despite all the problems, despite all the scandals, despite all of the people on the outside and, frankly, on the inside that have attempted to destroy the Catholic Church, they cannot do that. So here's something interesting. In verse 40, it says that uh, the Sanhedrin had the apostles flogged. And then in verse 41, so they left the presence of the Sanhedrin. Uh, what were they doing? Feeling sorry for themselves? No. It says rejoicing that they had been found worthy to suffer dishonor for the sake of the name. I want you to underline verse 41. They left the presence of the Sanhedrin rejoicing that they had been found worthy to suffer dishonor for the sake of the name. It's, it was an honorable thing to suffer. So in your own Christian walk, you will, as you've heard me say before, you will suffer for being outspoken about what Christ will you know, has done for you and is in the process of, of doing through you and with you. And um, so when that happens, just say, well, I must be doing something right if, if people are, um, you know, giving me a hard time about my Christianity. Um, because if you weren't uh, uh, being persecuted, at least verbally, etc., by, by people perhaps even in your same family, then that would indicate that you weren't doing anything for the kingdom. Um, and so they, it says that the apostles did not stop teaching and proclaiming the Messiah, Jesus. Okay, so now we're on to chapter 6. And we got all these people who've joined the church now. Way more than 5,000 people at this time. And the disciples continues to grow. And what happens? Now we have a little division in this community. The Hellenists, uh, you know, the people from Greece... Uh, who uh, who are now part of this new Christian community, 
complained against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution of food. Okay, So the twelve called together the community of the disciples and said, it's not right for us to neglect the word of God to serve at table. Okay, So the Catholic Church, yes, it is a social agency, but it is first and foremost tasked with making disciples and converts in the world, okay, to turning people on to the message of Jesus Christ. Some people would like the Catholic Church to be nothing more than a social services agency that feeds poor people, takes care of medical issues, etc. Well, it's certainly that, and it is the largest and most successful organization of that type in the world. But that is not the primary purpose of the Catholic Church. The primary purpose is to tell others about Christ and bring them to a, a saving knowledge of, of Christ um, so that they can have eternal life. And the apostles understand that. And they say, that's why they say, it's not right for us to neglect the word of God to serve at table. Verse 3, brothers, select among you reputable men filled with the Spirit and wisdom. Filled with the Spirit, again, capital S, Holy Spirit, whom we shall appoint. So this is, uh, underline the word appoint in uh, verse 3. So in other words, they're going to be appointed. They are um, another example of apostolic succession. Uh, to this task, whereas we shall devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal was acceptable to the whole community, so they chose Stephen, a man filled with faith in the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas of Antioch, a convert to Jerusalem. So there's seven of them chosen. Okay, is that an accident? I don't know. Seven generally is the number of what? Completion, perfection, and all that. But there's something else, else subtle about the choice of these seven guys. Have you figured out what it is, the choice of these seven men named in verse 5? Well, they are all, they all have Greek names. Not Hebrew names, but Greek names. Why do you suppose they were chosen? Well, again, it was the Greek speakers that were complaining that they were left out. And so Greeks, seven Greeks, were named to minister to them. So what's the message for us? God chooses us to minister to people that we have things in common with, be they family members, neighbors, co-workers, friends, uh, other people that we have something in common with, right? So um, that's one thought. Then in verse 6, they presented these men to the apostles who prayed and said, get out there. Is that what it says? No, it says they laid hands on them. In other words, these deacons were ordained. The ordination process involves, in this case, an apostle laying hands on the person being ordained. It's part of the uh, ceremony, part of the ritual. And so that screams of our doctrine of apostolic succession that that would happen. Now this Stephen, he's the first one named. He is a, uh, a deacon in the church. 
And uh, so uh, he's a servant of the church. It says, Stephen was filled with grace. Now, underline Stephen filled with grace. Yes, he's filled with grace. But happily, in Greek, there's a different term used for Stephen's being filled with grace, uh, which is different than how Mary is described as being full of grace in the Gospel of Luke. Mary, the term you'll recall, uh, was uh, full of grace. The, the word used there was the Greek word kakeratomeni, which means a hey, full of grace from the beginning. Can't ever get any fuller of grace. You know, the ultimate full of grace will never be out of grace. A different term is used for Stephen there. So he's filled with grace for that moment, but not in the, to the degree, if you will, um, in time that Mary is. So that's kind of important. Okay. Um, Protestants many times don't make that distinction. Uh, so he's working wonders and signs, and it says, um, you know, they could not withstand the wisdom and spirit with which he spoke. Then he instigated some men to say, we have heard him speaking blasphemous words against Moses and God. They stirred up the people and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They brought, uh, they presented false witnesses who testified. This man never stopped saying things against the holy place and the Lord. Now, if you want to read that whole discourse, you can do so in chapter 7. It's quite a long uh, chapter, and it basically, Stephen gives them the history of the Jewish people from Abraham and Moses and the Red Sea crossing and then David and Solomon and he concludes in chapter 7 by saying, hey, but you guys always oppose the Holy Spirit. That's in verse 51. And, uh, you know, you persecuted all the prophets and everything. He was, the, the crowd was with him until he started saying those things. And then they stoned him. It says in verse 58, they threw him out of the city and began to stone him. The witnesses laid down their cloaks at the feet of a young man named Saul. That's in verse 58. Underline that uh, part of 58 that says the witnesses laid down their cloaks at the feet of a young man named Saul. And that will later, of course, be Paul. So if you think you've committed a terrible sin, um, and maybe you have, but realize that God can use anyone, even someone who, um, you know, uh, commandeered this stoning of Stephen. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. So kind of reminds us of Jesus himself on the cross. And uh, then um, Stephen died. So we have now finished chapter 7. And let's reflect on that as we go to the Lord in prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, dear Lord, give us the boldness that you gave the apostles. And even when they were called on the carpet for spreading the word of Christ, uh, they, they said, you know, we, we, must follow, obey, we must obey God rather than men. And we ask that you give us the grace and the strength and the words to say so that when people ridicule us for our faith, 
that uh, that we be bold for you. And uh, we thank you that uh, there are people in our lives that we can plant a seed to bring them to Christ as well. So uh, just as um, Stephen um, is, is trying to witness to others, help us to be Stephen-like. And we ask this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, so we've gotten through Stephen, and next time we're going to pick up on, uh, you know, the, the church in uh, Samaria and Judea. Um, so be with us next time on Catholic Doctrine Bible Study. <music>